host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Sola. All right, welcome to what day is today? Wednesday, Tuesday? It's Wednesday. It's been a long week. <laughs> I never remember what day it is. So weird. 608 785 7914. Why do I do that so fast? 608 785 7914 is the talk and text line. If you want to get in here, I've got two guests coming on. And we're going to do more bike stuff. Today we're going to talk to Robbie Young of Cooley Bicycle Company in Onalaska, right on Main Street, I believe, in Onalaska. And he's also a member of the PED Bike Advisory Committee. And I'm just going to selfishly ask him uh, how, I, how I get into biking shape and just use that my this platform just to completely talk about biking. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but after that, we're going to bring Chris Main on, a Viterbo biologist who's just entrenched in, this is right up his alley, all the vaccination stuff. So we could talk about that Johnson & Johnson situation and uh, vaccines in, in that regard. And, and then just some other questions I have with vaccines. Um, a libertarian guy sent me a 430 text. That's a paragraph. I just saw that. I won't be able to read that right now. And it's about Don... Dante right, but he spelled Dante wrong. So there's that. Uh, keep doing that. Media keeps doing that. Spelling the the 20-year-old who died in Brooklyn Center after he was shot by police. They keep spelling his name wrong for some reason. Eric from Sparta is calling. I don't know why. If you heard the end of the show yesterday, I brought him on for one second. Because he's not going to get on the show anymore. After, being, after some bigoted comments directed at someone running for city council. Um, I don't want that kind of per- those kind of people on my show, so he's not coming on any- ever again. So, Eric, if you're listening, you can hang up. I'll do that for you. Um, couple of, there's quite a few stories in the, in the news today. Um, the, the one that was interesting, first of all, the Brewers have some, some pitching. I think I think the Brewers have some stud pitchers. I think the first time in in like team history they've had three complete if three shutouts or their starters through shutouts stuff like that. I I should pull that up. The Brewers posted that earlier today. But man, if you're not listening to the Brewers, uh, they got three three home games against Pittsburgh coming up beginning Friday. They got two days off. No, one day off. Uh, it's Wednesday. <laughs> Did it again. But so. WKTY's got Bob Euchre all weekend. Uh, it's maybe the most unique, best commentator, best play-by-play, best color guy, whatever you want to call him. Uh, he's kind of all those uh, in sports. We got him on WKTY. So he'll be calling all three Pittsburgh games, right? Friday at 7, Saturday at 6, and Sunday at 1. And the Brewers are kind of they, – they got some pitching. I didn't think they would have pitching. It's kind of surprised me a little bit, but – uh, that's exciting, but that's not actually the story I was going to talk talk about. But I'm almost there. I'm almost. I'm, I'm filibustering. I want to see what the Brewers posted today. Come on, Brewers! Oh, they post so many things. Here it is: Corbin Burns. Corbin Burns, six innings, no runs, ten Ks, and in six innings, no walks, no walks. Uh, Corbin Burns' uh, performance today. The Brewers set a franchise record: eight consecutive starts, one run or less allowed. 
eight consecutive starts. So the starters have uh, allowed, that's amazing, allowed one run or less in eight consecutive starts. Pretty sweet. Uh, so tomorrow, 7 o'clock, turn your radio on. You got to do the TV thing. You can adjust it so you can watch you. You can watch the game and listen to Euchre, but you got to listen to Euchre, right? Uh, but the other story that I saw today that was pretty interesting: anthropology students at UW Oshkosh are going to help search for the remains of a victim, um, not a recent victim. Anthropology students at the University of Oshkosh have been enlisted to help search for the remains of a homicide victim who died in 1983. Uh, Starkey Swenson, who was 67, was last seen riding her bike uh, near a middle school in Nina. In 1994, John Andrews pleaded guilty to homicide by neglect or negligent use of a motor vehicle, I should say, neglect. Uh, prosecutors say Swenson and Andrews were involved in a love triangle that Andrews then ran over Swenson. So, I mean, there's way more to the story <laughs> that I want to get into, but the, uh, and it's not funny. I don't know why I'm laughing. Uh, but the uh, anthropology students at UW Oshkosh are going to help search for this victim from 1983. So imagine going to college, want to be in anthropology, probably you're thinking like, what, dinosaur bones or something? Or going to find uh, tombs, mummies, going to Egypt, digging in sand. I don't know. I'm just doing movie stuff. Uh, Indiana Jones, maybe you're going to wear the hat and the whip. Uh, but now, no, we're going to have you uh, head over to near this, where this middle school was in Nina and search for somebody who was murdered by a hit and run, essentially. Or not even, a, maybe a purposely hit and run. I don't know if it's different when it's on purpose as opposed to on accident. But uh, crazy. I don't, I don't know. I guess, you, I guess you're doing, some, you're doing a kind of a good deed there for the family, family but... Uh, and I, I suppose if you didn't want to do it, you, did, you wouldn't do it. But it's also interesting, interesting practice. Some, probably something nobody, none of them students thought about. Or maybe that's something that anthropology students think they're going to do anyway. I don't know. I have no idea. I've never thought about being an anthropologist. Not something that, I, and I wouldn't say it wouldn't interest me. But I just never really thought about like all the avenues that you would you you could take as an anthropologist. I suppose you could work in the, in a crime lab for police department doing anthropology like this um all right so 608-785-7914 is the talking text line i'm gonna i'm gonna get out of here so i can bring robbie on and we can talk bikes for more than uh uh, i'm gonna utilize my time here so we're gonna talk with robbie robbie young cooley bicycle company here in a minute and then chris main at viterbo about vaccines after that we'll be back All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. 608-785-7914 is the talk and text line. If you have questions, shoot me a text. I got Robbie Young on with me now. He's the owner of Cooley Bicycle Company. Robbie, that's on Main Street, right, in Alaska? You got it. All right, so if you, anyone needs a bike, go to go to Cooley Bicycle Company on Main Street. Uh, do you get mad when I bring my other bike in there that I bought at a different bike shop? <laughs> No, we are happy to service and fix uh, anything, no matter where it came from. Now, I talked to uh, Carolyn Dvorak earlier this week about the drift cycle bikes, uh, these little cruiser rent-a-bikes, essentially, that, that are popping up. There's eight of them in down, the downtown area. How long do you think before maybe those start popping up in places like Onalaska, Holman, maybe uh, maybe even by the mall in Onalaska, stuff like that, so people could ride, essentially, from downtown 
to on Alaska and then park the bike, do some stuff and then bike back. Uh, that seems like the best bet to me for these things, these bike shares. Yeah, it's an exciting project, one that's been a long time coming, uh, but you got to start somewhere. So starting with just a, a dense cluster in downtown for people to kind of get a feel for it. And as that demand increases, um, yeah, I think downtown on Alaska and maybe the mall are another they're an obvious expansion towards towards campus, maybe towards the south side as well. Uh, basically, anywhere people need to go and anywhere people live, you know, those are going to be connections that people can make on a bike. Now, Dvorak, she told me that it, it's kind of up to a business to, I don't know if it's like to sponsor these racks with the rent-a-bikes on them or... If they just need to be willing, I don't know if they, they, they pony up some money, but, and we always say the mall, but really if we just put one of these in front of Target, right, or one of those stores, it would be more popular. Uh, would we, would we have to like, at, would we have to just ask Target to pony up some money to put a bike rack like that out there? Uh, it, yeah, it's, it's an option. You know, they're available for sponsors and for advertising. Uh, I think any business that recognizes the value that people on bikes bring uh they they'd be jumping at the chance to to help out expand this program uh nobody's really too anxious to pay millions of dollars for parking so if you can get an easy rack of eight to 20 bicycles outside your store uh why not do that yeah i feel like the i mean and multiple stores get kind of conglomerate and, and do it together um does the do these rent a bike bike share businesses that are popping up does that hurt companies like yourself like these you know all these bike companies I know there's some big box stores that sell bikes but you know really if you want a, a good bike you go to guys like you at the Cooley Bicycle Company where you're you can kind of you can kind of look me up and down and go what do you want okay a road bike okay this is and you can kind of break it down a little bit better but do these bike share companies hurt business. Not at all. They are another another tool in our mobility toolbox, I guess. But what you find is that people who own bikes, um, they may want to use a different bike for errand running, or maybe they're not comfortable locking their bike up somewhere. So they join a bike share. They put miles on somebody else's bike. It's kind of like renting a car to drive out west rather than putting 4,000 miles on your new Tahoe. Yeah, I actually, uh, I did ponder doing that, but then my, my well, my not new Tahoe, my 200,000-mile Grand Prix, did, I just drove that because I, I can put as many miles on that. And then coming back from out west, Robbie, I uh, blew a spark plug and didn't know it. Going up and down the mountains with five cylinders instead of six was a lot difficult. It was was a lot different than, than, uh, than I anticipated. <laughs> um, all right. So along with uh, being, you know, the owner of uh, Cooley Bicycle Company, you're you're a member of the city's bike ped com- advisory committee, and you're also on the Parks Board Commission. Uh, are there any? Wh- what would you say in terms of we're getting to bicycle weather, bicycle season? You know, is there is is this the time that these things start coming to light? Where we here's the projects we want to do, or do you do most of that in the off season so that when this season comes around, we're ready to to go on some of these projects? Uh, we're we're working all the time, but you know a lot of these road projects are five to twenty years in the distance. So a lot of times we get them checked off, and they they wait on the capital improvement 
plan and then come springtime, maybe five years later, uh, construction happens. So you'll see a variety of projects happening around town. Some of those passed through BPAC and Board of Public Works a couple of years ago. Some of them maybe found their way in as opportunities presented when roads were getting dug up. But it's construction season, so you're going to see roads dug up. But uh, complete streets funding means uh, you're going to see bicycle facilities going in as well. Now, when you when you say that some of these projects are 20 years down the road, I mean, you're going to be on a tricycle by the time these projects are done. <laughs> Yeah, but we're, you know, we're talking about 3rd and 4th Street through downtown, and what do you want that to look like when it's reconstructed? And I think uh, maybe the earliest dates we're talking about there are like 2027, but the city's got vision documents that are looking into 2040, and how do you want transportation to look 10, 15, 20 years from now? Is it eight lanes of Losey and six lanes of 3rd Street and six lanes of 4th Street, maybe another million-dollar interchange right in the heart of downtown? Or is it greenways, bike share, uh, more green space, fewer parking lots, uh, moving people in new and different ways? Hoverboards and flying cars, Robbie. That's where I'm at. Yeah. I'm still stuck in like Back to the Future Two, I think, which is which I think happened in like two years ago. I think it wasn't Back to the Future Two set in like 2020 or something like that. Uh, I think they made a trip to 18 or 20 or something. Yeah, I remember it being the. I remember seeing that meme during whatever whatever the date was. I'm like, oh, we've hit the date in Back to the Future Two, and we still don't have a time machines, but b hoverboards or flying cars. So what the heck? Um, well, they- if you can ride or test ride an electric bicycle, you, I think you're going to see, like, you've arrived to the future. Yeah, I've thought about getting it. Because where I live, I'm 15 miles from work. So I'm like, man, if I get an electric bicycle, I could that, – that would be really fun. But also, I'm like, that's just too lazy for me. I should be pedaling. I need to do – I need some kind of workout. So uh, – and we can get to that in a minute. But some of the projects you, you mentioned before the show, and we could talk about – um, first of all, there's a what you said was a two-way cycle track. In my head, I'm thinking like NASCAR. It's a racetrack. We're going to have a bicycle track in, in the city of La Crosse, but uh, it's essentially it's on 2nd Street, so it's just down here right right, like right out my door here at work uh, at Midwest Family. But um, can you just ex- explain a little bit what a two-way cycle track is? Yeah. Um, it's kind of like a mini bicycle highway. Uh, so... In or, instead of having bike lanes on either side of a road, you build a separated northbound, southbound area on one side of the road just for bikes to cruise up and down, sort of like a main arterial um, right through downtown. How, how awful is it to bicycle through downtown lacrosse? <laughs> because, you know, sometimes I'll open the door here and somebody will be biking down the sidewalk and you know, I'm going to clothesline them with the door, essentially. Uh, but, you know, and then I'm like, why are you on the sidewalk? But also, like, it's kind of, it seems kind of difficult to be biking down the road, too. Unless 2nd Street's kind of nice, but any other, any other of those roads seems a little bit dangerous. Any, yeah, anything with high-speed vehicles or truck traffic, which is... Well, at least three of our roads downtown. Um, people on the sidewalk is just a symptom of a larger problem. If those people had a safer place where they felt comfortable riding, 
or more obvious place, they'd probably do it. I'm sure they're aware that they should be in the street, but they probably look at what's going on out there with the drivers and say, no way, not a chance. Yeah, so this this uh, two-way cycle track on 2nd Street would alleviate that. Is there a timeline for this? Because this sounds awesome. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, I, it's, it's in the near future, I believe. Um, I think there's some other infrastructure projects that are going to go on with 2nd Street, and that's how we fit these projects in. Um, nobody's really at the point of spending money just to tear up roads to put in bicycle infrastructure. It's, it coincides with uh, utility maintenance or regular resurfacing work. Yeah, so I, feel, I feel like we tore, we tore up the lacrosse center a little bit. We could at least put like a mini cycle track right there, a <laughs> couple hundred yards. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things. It's nice to start somewhere, but also it's almost it's not really worth anything until you have those linkages in place, right? Like, what does two, two box of bike lane really get you? But it, it's coming. Now, do we, do, we, do we agree that there isn't a, a plan for Market Street yet? Like, what do you call them? Green zones? Green? I, I believe Market Street's going to be a type of greenway. Greenway. Connecting, kind of connecting neighborhoods to downtown. Okay, so we, we tried to do this with, well, King Street, I talked to the mayor this was months ago, but I, I, I yelled at him because he, they were putting traffic circles on King Street, and they're kind of annoying because if, if there's no stop signs before, but now there's traffic circles when I'm driving through there, I got to go around these stupid things to get to the Y. But he's, the, he, Mayor Cabot just said to me, Rick, that's why we, wa- we want you actually to drive on Main Street so the bicyclists can bike down King Street easily. That's part of it. Uh, the other part is you can actually move slower traffic faster than you can move traffic that has to speed up and stop and speed up and stop. Uh, just that little bit of slowdown keeps everybody moving, and it's also great at reducing the likelihood of any kind of crash or incident at all those intersections. But it, the design is, yeah, uh, low traffic, low speed, uh, more neighborhood-friendly, so it's not a mini yeah, and it, there. and it makes perfect sense because if you just go to the next block over or even Market Street's actually at this point kind of a nice drive to just get through to the other side of town. But you're talking like maybe it'll be better for bicyclists. Um, are we just going to do a lot of bump outs there so that the kids can jump over all the curbs and, and <laughs> that disaster like we have on Cass Street? I don't think there's too many bump outs there, um, but I, we're also not into a finished design Phase. So there will be some public input meetings coming up, and if people have visions of how they want transportation to look in the future, uh, partake in the public process, because we're just an advisory committee. We're implementing the Bicycle Pedestrian Master Plan, uh, but it, it's got to go through council and the mayor, and they all, uh, they all listen to the, the voters. When when do you when is the ped bike committee and how do people get involved in some of this stuff? Hey, good question. Bike ped committee meets uh, the second Tuesday of every month, usually around eight thirty in the morning. Meetings are open to the public, uh, virtually open to the public via life size right now. But those agendas go up on uh, on the city website uh, or 
people can always reach out to their council members or members of the committee and just share input that way. All right. And um, also, you mentioned you mentioned locking up your bike because some people have like i said i've said before on the show i have a, a pretty nice i bought a pandemic bike i used my stimmy check uh to buy a bike out in fountain city uh at and now at brown's bike shop in fountain city and um it's a pretty nice bike so i don't know if i want to bike to target and lock it up am i am i crazy there or should i be should i feel safe like locking up like a two thousand dollar bike like that uh just any any old place or do i need to really be careful I think you could feel safe if you have a lock that makes you feel safe. (laughs) Your favorite bike shop can help you pick one out, but generally we'd say anything that depends on a cable can be cut usually just with hand tools. Uh, Shoot for something that's going to require a power tool to remove. Okay. Otherwise, I look foolish when I'm walking through Target while pushing my bike. It's just, it's not. And and speaking of the pandemic, how how have you guys recovered from just? I, I feel like a lot of uh, metals and, and and the ability to have bikes shipped to bike shops that that that's that was difficult for a while there, right? I mean, it was kind of good and bad. Uh, yeah, kind of a perfect storm of increased demand and super decreased and delayed supply. Uh, Right now, generally, don't expect that supply chain to catch up until probably very early 2022. Things are going to be slim, whether it's bikes, repair parts, uh, just about everything is looking pretty hard to get a hold of. All right, that's Robbie Young. He's the owner of Cooley Bicycle Company. Uh, Robbie, next time, could we talk like the bike trails, like literal, like, bike trails in Hickson are you uh, the aficionado and that stuff too oh yeah some of the best in the midwest so okay. we should definitely talk about it yeah because I want to bring you on someday to talk about that but appreciate you coming on with me thanks a lot man thanks Rick all right that's Robbie Young all right we got to take a quick break Brad doing the news Scott's Comet coming up next then we have Chris Main uh, the turbo biologist on after that all right welcome back to lacrosse talk PM there's where the Stone Temple Pilots song ended up I lost it before the last show or the last break. Uh, Chris Mayne, he Chris Mayne, Dr. Chris Mayne's on with me now. He's a Viterbo biologist. He studies immunology. So you're like a vaccine nerd, essentially. And what, Chris, probably a year and a half ago, you were a vaccine nerd. And everyone's like, Ugh, whatever, vaccine nerd. And now you're like the cool guy on campus, right? Uh well, yeah, I guess I guess I, I can at least answer some questions now, just because been thinking about these sort of things for a long time. So it's a, uh, it's it's good to to be useful, I guess. And I never think of you guys as as you know. I play basketball with you guys at Viterbo, and I never think of you as you know, doctors of immunology or you know kite. I couldn't even tell you what Rick is at this point <laughs> off the top of my head. Ethics, right? Something ethics. Yes, ethics. Um, yep, and, sure. and then all of a sudden, you know, this pandemic hits, and I think you and Rick were on a podcast, and, and then, it, you know, it, I, I read your, what your profession is or what your expertise is, and I'm like, oh, my God, I should be having you on the show. And, you know, and then, it, and then now here we are. I think this is the third time you've been on. But uh, th- this uh, 
the pandemic is kind of like bittersweet for you because I think obviously it's bitter because global pandemics is awful. But then this all this stuff becomes mainstream. Does it does it ever get annoying for you if you're if you're maybe you're listening to my show when I I don't have any experts on it. I try to pretend I know what I'm talking about with the virus. Or just in general, if you read some social media or maybe even some articles that you read where people are getting a lot of stuff wrong or maybe misunderstanding some things? You know, uh, I guess first off, Rick, you should have known I was a scientist all along when you saw my uh, jump shot. I mean, really, that, 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 is, a, that is a very scientist-looking jump shot. Very much, say. yes. That is true. Uh, but it, I guess sometimes. I, I think people, you know, generally uh, mean well, and they're learning, and they're trying. Some, the only time it gets a little annoying is if someone's, you know, trying to really tout themselves and giving poor information or fear-mongering all for clout, you know, all to, to try to build some sort of fame or something. That that, that can get a little frustrating, but I, I think that's very, very rare. And, you know, only you only see that if, you know, you re- really are exposed to it a lot. So it's it's not too bad. Yeah, and that frustration would be probably on, the, on, on something that you can't touch, right? Like, I don't even, I'm just throwing, doc, like, Dr. Oz or somebody out there when he starts. I don't even know if Dr. Oz, he's the only weird mainstream media uh, doctor that I could, I'm trying to think of Dr. Drew. That's the other one. I think Dr. Dr. Drew, Drew has, has been, been kind of controversial. Dr. Drew has been doing it. Yeah. Dr. Drew is a good example. We're just, I'm going to make a name for myself, but why don't you, Chris, go down this Avenue where you, I mean, I mean, you're already on lacrosse talk PM, which is as big as it gets in the <laughs> That's area. What I was but. going to say, I, I have to be careful that I don't get too big here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> already by doing this so but anyway so okay let's get the down to business a little bit because with the vaccine we've been doing this for a while now i get my second dose of moderna because i'm i don't know i'm chic is that the word i i get the i'm not pfizer i'm not well nobody wants to be johnson and johnson right now we'll get to that in a minute but i'm gonna get moderna what am i expecting when i get my second dose chris is does the vast majority of people start kind of feel crappy after getting dose number two or is it or is that just like that you could expect that to happen but probably not so i think you know based upon you know the clinical studies and things like that it would suggest that the rate of feeling crummy the next day is higher with this vaccine or these vaccines than some, but it's still, I wouldn't say, is the huge majority of people per se. Uh, so I also uh, got my second dose of Moderna a couple weeks ago. And yeah, I had a little bit headachy, little fevery for a short period of time. Uh, just felt kind of tired, but really pretty, pretty minor all in all, considering the benefits that you get. But I think it's not uncommon, but you, we also hear about the people who get um, the, the symptoms, certainly. But my sister, you know, it's, it's almost comical. She didn't get any symptoms, and she was worried about that. She's like, oh, no, why didn't I get any symptoms? Did it not work? <laughs> and so, uh, you know, no matter what I think we as humans try to attribute meaning to things that sometimes just are, you know, when you, when you work out your muscles in a good workout, they get sore. When you work out your immune system and give it a good workout, um, often you'll feel a few effects from that, too. Yeah, or after a pandemic, when you walk up a flight of stairs, you you feel it the next day. Um, so, should I be doing anything before I I get this shot? People people told me, yeah, you should eat a whole bunch or get a, drink a whole bunch of water. Uh, and I'm just like, okay, well, I, I haven't really read anything about it because I got I'm just going to cram on Tuesday right before a couple hours before. But is there is there any relevant advice or is it just go get the shot? You know, I think the most important thing is that you go get the shot. You know, if if you are able, if you're fortunate enough to be able to plan your next day to not be doing anything terribly, uh, you know, 
uh, rigorous or taking lots of uh, energy. That might be valuable if you can do that. I, I could have went to work my next day. I happened to back up to a vacation so uh, or a weekend, so that worked out well for me. But other than that, I know they do recommend you drink quite a bit of water. Uh, you know, you're asking for this vaccine to be transported throughout your lymphatic system, and so being well hydrated helps with that, I guess. But I think it's I think those are the main things. I don't think you need to to think about preparing for it too much. Yeah, this might be the one time where during this pandemic we can actually call in sick, be like, hey, I got my vaccine. I'm not feeling good. We could use this excuse of calling in sick because for a year, Chris, we couldn't call in sick if we're just feeling sick because then you were sick for two weeks. You had to you had to go isolate and get tested. <laughs> Even if you just felt like, you know what, I don't feel good. I haven't I don't have you know, for, for whatever reason you knew you don't have COVID, but you're just sick. No way. You had you had to kind of go to work or you had to go sit stay home in two weeks and get tested. So at least now for everyone that's getting the vaccine, use a sick day, right? Yeah, you're you're not you're not you're not wrong on that as far as the now we uh we definitely have a good excuse. I'm going to start counting how many times my students claim to get vaccinated now, just uh, just to see. You know, this is a readily available excuse. So, yeah, as you're doing roll call, just next to their name, just check mark, make sure you see if they they were vaccinated. I, I don't know; it might be a violation there somewhere. Um, and you you mentioned when we get the vaccine, we might have a headache and, and tired. That's me all the time, so I'm not even going to notice. This is 100% what my issue was. You know, I, I didn't feel like I slept real great the night before, and then the next day I felt a little headachey, and I was like, well, probably because I didn't really sleep that well. And also, feeling worn out is pretty much steady state right about now. So, yeah, it is, it is hard to uh, differentiate some of these things. I'm, already, I'm getting yelled at by the text line because I mentioned the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, and uh, so the texter says, you only put the left-wing socialist side to everything and just so you're informed, the Johnson & Johnson shot is six out of over a million doses, so the fear that you spread. I haven't even started spreading the fear. And also, the uh, touting me as left-wing socialist, I, we're getting the vaccine without even having to, to, to really do anything. So, I mean, thank you, socialism there. But the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, he, he, and the texture is partially right. It's been, it, it, you know, they put it on pause. We talked to a Mayo doc the other day, and they said they'll probably expect... Uh, an answer to what's going on in a couple, maybe a week or so, but six cases out of 6.8 million, right, Chris? Right. Yeah. And so I think the texter, uh, their point about, you know, not overblowing this, uh, this as being some sort of major fear is, is very well founded. I agree. Uh, it's very important that we maintain that context of those numbers. You know, we're talking about six cases, 6.8 million vaccines, you know, the, the risk of clotting from COVID is, you know, way higher than that. About 20% of all COVID cases get clotting. And so this is a different, slightly different type of clotting, but it's a, it, this is, you know, a good thing as far as, you know, making sure that we're moving forward in a safe way. We're going to pause. We're going to look into this. One of the most important things we're going to do is make sure that clinicians are educated as far as with this type of clotting that they're seeing, it's treated slightly different. And so making sure you get that at, take a pause to get that education out to the doctors. Hey, if you see one of these one in a million things, here's how to treat it. Don't treat it the same way that you usually would. And so that's the point of all of this. My, my brother got Johnson & Johnson, and I have no worries whatsoever for him. This is literally, you know, like less of a chance than getting struck by lightning. You know, a oh. few of them more may, more may come up now as we keep I've got, uh, I've got it. These. I've got it here, Chris. I've got fifty-one things. The odds of you have things happening to you: one in seven hundred thousand. That's that's apparently the struck by lightning. One in seven hundred thousand. 
the odds of you winning a gold medal, this one looks a little bit more complicated. I mean, this isn't even relevant. The odds of any of us winning a gold medal is zero, I think, anyone listening here. Uh, being killed in a plane crash, one in 60 million. So you're, you're, you, you have better odds. Also, the, the Johnson & Johnson thing is all, they, all six cases were females, right? They were. So that's actually partly probably why they're pausing as well, because that, since they all have similar characteristics in that way, that might make people more wonder, well, is there some sort of thing we can learn more about if we pause and look into this? Um, you know, I, so I think one of the things, big takeaways from this is that the system is working, right? Like, I, you can't really claim that there is uh, some deep, you know, conspiracy uh to suppress secret deaths or anything like that, when we put a halt to a vaccine going out into millions of people in the midst of an enormous global pandemic, and, you know, we stopped one of our tools in that trade to really be sure we're being safe about it. And this, you know, these cases weren't exposed through some YouTube video. You know, they they were discovered, you know, by the system. The system is, is working and is doing what it should. I don't think there's any reason to be particularly worried but I think there is reason to feel confident that we're being very careful about these things. Yeah, and if you're worried about you, you're getting the Johnson vaccine, or you're a woman and you've already gotten it, it's one in one in six point eight, or what was it, six in six point eight million. Uh, the odds of dying in a tornado are one in five million. So it's that's a little similar. I guess the odds are a little bit better. Um, but moving on, I guess, I mean, is there anything else to say about the Johnson and Johnson vaccine? I mean, do you do you anticipate it's because the way we were talking the other day is it sounds like it could be another issue and it's just coincidence a little bit. Uh, I think, you know, this is something that's being looked at. There's the AstraZeneca vaccine in Europe that was being broadly used made a similar pause and it's a similar approach. At, it's called an adenoviral vaccine, uh, similar to this one. And so I think that's one of the other things that's giving them the reason to take this pause as well. You know, in Europe, their version of this, you know, they paused on for a bit too, and no matter what, it's, it's an extremely rare occurrence, and we want to make sure that doctors are aware of, you know, the rarity of it, but also if they happen to see this sort of thing, you know, what to do. And so, no, I, I think it's going to be a temporary pause. Like I said, my brother got Johnson & Johnson, and I have no concerns uh, for him. If I were, if this pause was to be uh, stopped and Johnson & Johnson is being used again in a week and I hadn't been vaccinated, I would get it happily. It's, it's a very, very rare occurrence. I mean, if you look at oral birth control, you know, the pill, you're talking about, you know, 500 times to 1,000 times more likely to get clotting from that, right? Or smoking is a 2,000 times more likely to get a clot. And so it just COVID itself, right, is at risk of giving you clots. And right. it's way more common. And so you're protecting from clots in one way by protecting yourself from COVID. What happens here, too, is we got stuck on the Johnson & Johnson thing, and, and we burned most of the time. So i got to get to these other things. And, and this again, I, I just need to do a whole show where I just talk to one guy, I think. Uh, but, <laughs> but I'm going to get the shot. I'm going to be immune from COVID. How long? Do we even know this? I mean, am I going to have to get a shot every year, every six months, every 10 years? Do we know? Don't know, but so far there are people out there, right, who were in this clinical trial who were vaccinated six to seven months ago, and just recently, I believe Moderna released a, a report showing that they still have very high levels of antibodies. So it seems that I, I'm betting it's going to be on the scale of years, if I were guessing. Okay, that will be good for. But you know, as long as these variants don't take over and and evade new variants, I should say, come come out that completely evade vaccines and i find that very unlikely that something would completely evade vaccines but 
the more we let people get infected, the more chances we give it to try. Yeah, the the idea that the if we uh, let it keep spreading and if we don't get everyone vaccinated as soon as as fast as we can, the variants will become more variants, right? They'll they'll vary even more, and eventually maybe the the vaccine wouldn't be effective. I suppose. Yeah, the the way what viruses do is they mutate. It's not an unexpected thing. It's what viruses do. But the more infections, the more people they infect. You can think of it like a, a lottery ticket. And it's unlikely that we get some particularly nasty variant that can evade vaccines. But the more lottery tickets you let this virus buy, the more likely that it might hit the jackpot from its perspective and find a way around these things. I don't ever expect we would have one that would make it so the vaccines weren't helpful at all. All right. Maybe it would make them 80 percent or something. I'm only giving you a minute here, but the we we argue about vaccine passports. Can you can you explain to us vaccine passports in a minute? So I guess my I, I can't talk to exactly what a vaccine passport is because it means different things to different people. But I will say it's not an uncommon thing already in our world to have requirements of vaccination. To be a scientist, the sort of research I did, I have to maintain my tetanus shot. Most teachers have to be able to stay up on their uh, vaccinations, right? People who work in hospitals are required to maintain their vaccinations. Students to go to public schools have in most private schools have to maintain their vaccinations. So it won't surprise me if it's required for some things or if some private entities even require it. I heard the Buffalo Bills, I think, are going to require vaccination to attend their games because yeah, and it's the, in their best interest. And to fly to other countries, we need to maintain certain vaccinations right, too. Yeah, right? if you've ever gone to many different countries, you have to have be up to date on, on various vaccinations, including some we don't usually get in the U.S., like yellow fever. Except Mexico, I think. Uh, no, I have no idea. Um, all right, man. I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, definitely didn't have enough time with you, but we'll we'll just have to do it in a, again in a couple of weeks. All right. All right. Sounds great. Thanks. All right. Thanks. Uh, that was Chris Main, biologist, immunologist at Viterbo. All right, we got to take a break. All right, that's going to wrap it up for today. Thanks a lot to Chris Main, Viterbo immunologist, and Robbie Young, the owner of Cooley Bicycle Company, for joining me today. Really appreciate it. I'm out. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And try to create lasting effects. Wafer is more. Find out how you can.